1: Well, hello there. This is Joseph L. Flatley, and you are listening to Failed State Update. And uh, for this episode, we will be talking to podcaster and all-around good guy named Pierce Redmond. When I got into podcasting, uh, Pierce was super helpful. Years before I even wanted to be on a podcast or do a podcast, I talked to him about... Just because I liked his show And it was called Porkins Policy Review And it really just covered everything from Conspiracy theory topics To geopolitics To just your occasional oddball character And what really hooked me though Was that he was on the forefront of Looking into Jeffrey Epstein There was this whole conspiracy research community out there You know, digging into Epstein and his crimes and things that the mainstream media weren't interested in covering, and I think Pierce was at the forefront of all of that. So Epstein worked with closely with Lex Wexner, who is a philanthropist um, and part of a Jewish philanthropy group called the Mega Group. You know, some people involved in the Mega Group have been involved in Israeli politics. And there's a lot of conjecture whether or not the mega group is actually like a big front for Israeli intelligence. Another interesting thing of note is billionaire Robert Maxwell, he died under mysterious circumstances. It, it's possible that he was killed. He was doing a lot of work for the Israeli government, Israeli intelligence, and... And uh, he had run out of money, and, you know, it's some people have said that he's tried to, you know, that he was basically blackmailing Israel um, for the money to get out of his debts. You know, the blackmail was, he would reveal state secrets, so he was uh, murdered. Um, I don't know if there's any truth to that, but I do know that his daughter, Ghislaine Maxwell, is was Jeffrey Epstein's confident and right-hand woman, you could say. So... So we talk about this stuff a little bit And um, Just kind of the larger nature of Conspiracy research and what it's like To work on a story like this And then to have mainstream media Kind of swoop in the last minute So it's, it's a great interview He's a great guy and I definitely Suggest you check out his podcast In the show notes And uh Yeah without further ado here is Pierce Redmond
2: A, a radio host and a writer in uh, New York City. I've been sort of deeply involved in, you know, within the research community uh, regarding Epstein uh, since around like 2015 when the, the first uh, sort of uh, big stories came out in the Daily Mail uh, chronicling specifically Virginia Jeffrey's experiences. And uh, yeah, just sort of went from there. And, yeah, it's just a case or, or you know, a series of cases that is very fascinating to me, uh, particularly the the way it's been um, interpreted by the media. I've always been really fascinated by that angle uh, and how it's sort of different from other uh, sexual abuse, uh, sexual trafficking cases that are out there, and particularly the politicized nature of uh, Epstein and Maxwell and their political connections is uh you know it's just like another facet to the story that's always interested me.
1: Yeah, yeah, and um just to kind of paint a picture, um like 2015, where is that on the timeline as far as like the initial like murmurings of like the Epstein case and him going to jail and him getting out of jail? Uh, th- this this would be much later, mm-hmm. you know. Obviously,
2: he um the original. Uh, Palm Beach investigation into Epstein that was started around uh, 2006 and he didn't go to prison until 2008. Um, so, you know, the 2000 now and that was, you know, and I'll admit that was all out there. Uh, you know, there were various outlets that were covering this. It wasn't uh, necessarily like front page news. I mean, the way it is now and even I, I, you know, I would argue even like a year or two ago, uh, the the Epstein was not really front page news either. Uh, now it very much is, and there's a whole string of uh, podcasts that that have come out um, talking about this, and uh, people are definitely making a decent amount of money off of uh, reporting on it. But uh, you know, back um, I would say back around like the you know 2000 the the early 2000s, the people that were reporting on it were mostly like local uh, newspapers. So like the, the, um, Palm beach post, uh, is a great resource for, uh, older, uh, material on that. Some great journalists there, including, uh, Jay Musgrave, who's been, uh, focused on the story for many years. And there were, you know, there were, uh, you know, some mainstream, uh, reporting that you can find in 2015. There was, um, and this is sort of like, there's a little bit of like inside baseball with all of this. Um, so if you really want to get into like the, a lot of the minutia, you can check out like some of my older episodes, um, you know, talking about this when it was first sort of breaking, but 2015, um, there were a series of like, uh, articles that that came out in the daily mail. Uh, these were predominantly written by a journalist there called Sharon churcher, who had spoken, uh, with, uh, it was having, you know, it was corresponding with Virginia Jeffrey who at that time was, uh, went by uh, her, um, you know, her, her maiden name, Virginia Roberts, but um, she's since taken her husband's name. So Jeffrey is is what appears on, um, you know, the, the more recent uh, court cases involving, uh, that she's involved with. So there were some articles that were being written by the Daily Mail talking about Geoffrey uh, as this, uh, what was characterized at that time, uh, which is since sort of there's a little bit of debate over that, or not really debate, I mean, it's just it was, was not exactly accurate. Uh, that she was, she was a 15 year old sex slave. Turns out that she was probably 17, um, but uh, that she was a sex slave to uh, the rich and famous, uh, you know, the the sort of billionaire. As he was described, billionaire hedge fund manager Jeffrey Epstein was abusing her and pimping her out to all host of uh, famous people, including Prince Andrew and others. And, you know, if you uh, if you spend any time in the conspiracy community, these sort of stories do crop up. Uh, You you know, you've you've looked at some of them yourself Um, you know, there, I mean, the, the big famous one, um, that I think is, is, uh, there is uh truth to it, although I don't, I think it has sort of taken a life of its own would be the Franklin scandal. You know, that's like a big one that everyone kind of like points to. Uh, and even in that, you know, it's, there's a lot going on there that we, we definitely don't have time to get into. So I sort of, it was a little bit of a grain of salt, but, uh, there was there was something about these articles that there seemed to be enough of an element of truth that it was I was sort of like, huh. And, you know, as bad as the Daily Mail is, I don't they were naming some pretty, you know, high profile people. And I didn't at the time, I, I didn't think that they would it, it there had to be some truth to it.
1: Yeah, especially Um, with the libel laws in the UK being so much more onerous than they are in the United States.
2: Absolutely. So, uh, and then of course, um, a website that I don't even know if it really exists anymore, but at the time it was uh, it was integral to investigating Epstein. uh, Radar Online, the gossip site, um, which uh, again, very you know, kind of inside baseball, has connections to Epstein. Um, Epstein tried to purchase, uh, Radar Online and, uh, was like, a when they were going through some financial trouble, he was, uh, you know, an investor, uh, so to speak in Radar Online. He tried to purchase it. I don't, I can't remember now off the top of my head if he ever, uh, actually did purchase it, but his ties to it seem significant. Uh, they, Radar Online put out the, um... Uh, Virginia uh, Jeffries or Virginia Roberts at the time, her criminal complaint against Epstein that had pictures of them. I mean, and then the big one of course was that there, you know, she's talking about all this crazy shit going on. And then, you know, lo and behold, there's a picture of her, Gillian Maxwell and Prince Andrew. And then I was just sort of, I was hooked, I guess at that point. Now, along with that, there were some articles coming out uh, in the daily beast Written by a very shady, in air quotes, journalist by the name of Conchita Sarnoff, who um, did not disclose really at the time, but it has since come out used to go to uh, you know uh, parties of Epstein's on the Upper East Side, not necessarily you know orgies or um, you know parties where they were abusing uh, people, but um, you know dinner parties. Um, And uh, she did sort of, you know, she admitted that she had been to some of those. But uh, you you know, it's 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 since come out that her ties to this were maybe, you know, that her um her going to these parties is a little bit more um than she let on. Anyway, she began publishing a couple of articles about Epstein. These sort of like, you know, looking at at what had happened uh, from his the investigation, his arrest, and then this uh, sweetheart deal, which we've all sort of. Uh, come to understand. Conchita Sarnoff wrote a couple of these articles, and for a while there was the main conduit for most of the information that was being funneled out about what had happened in the early 2000s regarding the Sweetheart deal, the problems with the uh, local and state authorities in Florida, as well as the federal prosecutors, of course the big... Uh, the big one being Alexander Acosta, our former labor secretary, who um, had to resign due to his involvement in basically giving Epstein uh, virtually no jail time um, and uh, free reign to come and go as he pleased. I mean, you know, Acosta didn't it, we should know, you know, Acosta is not the one that signed these work release orders. But obviously, you know, the, the sentence was so light. I think that, you know, it it paved the way for uh, people like Rick Bradshaw, who was the county sheriff, to essentially just sort of allow anything to go on there. Uh, So Conchita Sarnoff was the conduit for this information, including a letter where Alexander Acosta uh, was the victim, which is a theme uh, that we'll probably discuss a a bit more as we talk. I mean, you know, everybody that's involved, uh, they had some tangential involvement you know, uh, secondary, tertiary characters to this uh, drama. Everybody is a victim. Everybody was victimized by Epstein, um, even if they. Uh, and and it, you know, there are a lot of victims of Epstein's that then went on to recruit uh, young girls to, uh, you know, to victimize um, uh, other people. And that is, uh, that is just like a sad reality. And, you know, we should, you know, we should, we should be more understanding of that, or we should be able to sort of like contextualize that, that, which is, you know, which is funny. I think when it comes into a lot of things, it's like, you look at like, um, domestic abuse or something. And I think people are fairly, um, you know, capable of looking at that and saying, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, husband X was abused, uh, was beaten up by his father, and um, you know, and then the cycle of abuse continues, and he beats up his son or his wife, and that's, you know, we kind of accept that.
1: Yeah, and and there's kind of like a mind control element, or, you know, Mm -hmm. by abusing people, and I'm sure this went through Epstein's head because he was like a weird, uh, you know, narcissistic genius on some level, but you know, it was like, abuse through abusing people you make them more pliable his abuse was not just him enjoying abusing people but it was a function of that abuse was they're now able to be manipulated and drawn into his kind of sick game
2: absolutely yeah yeah i i I think um you know if you if you if you read through um uh for instance like uh, jeffrey's uh manuscript uh, which is horrible, but um, is filled with uh, it's just not great writing. But you know that's neither here nor there. Uh, there is a lot of uh, very useful information in there, and um, you know one of one of the things is it you know it does seem that this this notion. I mean, she doesn't spell it out uh, that you know he was using. Uh, mind control techniques, or that he was using undue influence, or, you know, emulating various cults out there, destructive cults, but you can tell that that is something that he, he enjoyed having control over others, and making people do things that they didn't want to do, Uh, he, um, I, I think he got off on that in a base sexual level, but he also got off on that in the fact that he was able to uh, have like complete control over people, um that he could uh, abuse people uh, one day and then have them be active participants in abuse the next day. So and um, and just you know, back to my original point, it's like um, Acosta began to portray himself as a victim in all of this, that he was being manipulated by Epstein, that he wanted to do the right thing, but he couldn't. Um, and that's basically, those two threads, the, th- the, the thread of, of Jiffre, uh talking about this and then this thread of uh, th- the, the beginnings of the mainstream media reporting on this and how it was being reported, that sort of led me to get really involved and to really explore the case um, and uh, to look at all of the, the different facets and sort of how those two began to link up. And to see early on how how much, uh, you know, I talked at the very beginning about the politicization of this case. You know, Conchita Sarnoff believes that Donald Trump is a saint uh, and that Bill Clinton is the evil one. You know, so for a while she had a book called Trafficking, which was the only book that was out on Epstein. And it, you know, and it pushed that narrative. Then later on, James Patterson. Uh, writes uh, maybe is one of his first, if not his first, nonfiction book. This is you know of uh, you know airplane novel uh, fame. Uh, James Patterson writes um, his book with a couple of uh, unsavory characters, including this guy. Um, his last name is T- uh, Connolly. I think his first name is Tom Connolly, who's a sort of a disgraced NYPD. Detective, uh, stockbroker who ran into trouble with the SEC. He worked as a PI uh, for none other than Scientology at one point, but he did track down a lot of interesting people and they got a lot of information. Now, what does Patterson's? But you know, Patterson is Donald Trump is the evil one. Bill Clinton is okay. You know that that narrative. And I'm I'm simplifying these a bit, but that's the that's the sort of narrative that began to come out, and that was just very interesting to see. Uh, how, the, you know, those two things begin to converge and that and that people um, I think more so, and I think this is really just sort of a representative of the, the type of uh, society and the communities that we live in right now, currently in the U.S., that everything is drawn on those lines. Donald Trump is a saint. Uh, Joe Biden is the devil or vice versa. Ah, uh, there's no, you know, um, uh, or or Bill Clinton, you know, is really, um, even though that, you know, Bill and I mean, I'll just, you know, Donald Trump's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein spans decades, um, and goes much, you know, m- much longer back. They, um, they, I think they were probably closer. They were actually friends, is is how I would characterize this more. Whereas Bill Clinton, I think, was more of like a, you know, an asset.
1: Yeah. I I almost got the uh, sense that like, Epstein was trying to like, get his claws into Clinton, and Clinton was just like using him for his plane, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah, no, and although we should know, it's it's come out now that even even the relationship between Bill Clinton and Jeffrey Epstein might go back much later than previously believed, um, to the nineties. Well, he Epstein was at uh like White House like an inauguration party. So, uh, now, and I don't know that I think at that time that was really Epstein was just sort of dipping his toes, so to speak into the world of, you know, blackmail and, uh, sexual trafficking and, you know, uh, gaining power, um, you know, helping the rich and famous with, uh, money trouble. That was a big, a big thing that he did in the, um, in the eighties and even into the nineties. So I, uh, whereas, uh, you know, Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein appear to have actually been, uh, fairly close friends, I would say, you know, going back, uh, many years. And it just, you know, just a few days ago, there was a picture of, uh, Donald Trump, Ivanka, Eric Trump, and Jeffrey Epstein. Um, this is when they were kids. This is in the nineties, I think 92, 93. Um,
1: so, you know, they were they were hanging out then, uh, and he was bringing his kids around him. So what interests me is the, the fact that, like, the case began in 2006. Was he uh, prosecuted in 2008? Yeah, t- 2008 is when he went to prison. So this was, like, kind of like swimming under the radar for some reason um, – you know, until Julie Brown did her expose in two thousand eighteen in the Miami Herald. That's like when it really blew up in the popular consciousness. But there's been this but there's this whole research community that was working on it for several years before before that. Um do you think it was the pressure from like you and your fellow uh conspiracy researchers that brought this to light?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean I, I or I don't know if it's like all you know, it's all You know, me and Ed Opperman, Chuck Ocelli and others that were talking about this. You know, I don't want to take all the credit, but I don't really believe Julie K. Brown. I think that there's some. I mean, I think that she's real. Obviously, I think that she is reporting on this. I it I am more and more. I seem to uh, and this might be a little out there, but I think she was sort of like put onto this case. And and was sort of like – because most of what she wrote about in those um, those first uh, big uh, thing exposés in the Miami Herald, it was – n- I mean zero new information. There were – I mean – or maybe 1% new information. There were some little tidbits and things like that. And there were things that she was confirming that myself and Ed and others had been talking about years ago. So, I mean a big one is – um, uh, you know, by, uh, reading, um, You know, by reading, you know, probable cause affidavits, going through old court documents, um, just scouring the Internet, uh, doing research, you know, uh, me and others believed that uh, Nadia Marchenkova um, was um, uh, was a was a, a, a you know, a, basically a purchased sex slave Um, that uh, Epstein had bought somewhere in like, you know, I mean, they referred to like the Balkans and, and stuff. Now, just based on a whole bunch of stuff, just looking at reading these things, looking at Nadia Marchenkova, you know, checking dates on photos and stuff like that, me and others were like, I think that's who it is. Julie K Brown, then just sort of, in her pieces, just said, Oh, yeah, that's who it is. And really no, like, Prior, you know, there's no, no, like she didn't explain this. It was just sort of like this is who he bought, you know. So there were there were little things like that, but for the most part, the big thing that Julie K Brown did is speak to all of the, um, to to speak to many of the victims, jeffrey Courtney Wild, uh, you know, a bunch of them. Uh, speaking, you know, that was sort of the big thing, but. Uh, and, uh, and I just I find that a lot of what Julie K. Brown is doing is very it's, it's a lot of also safe reporting. There's there's nothing too kind of controversial. I mean, again, there is this uh, perception out there that, you know, all victims are angels when it comes to this case. And I think that Julie K. Brown does that. Now, she's spent a lot of time speaking with these women So I can understand why she would, uh, you know, beyond sympathizing with them, that she wants to, you know, get them the justice that they've not received. I think, unfortunately, though, in that we have a very warped perspective of this, and I think that we're actually doing a disservice by portraying this in a very black and white nature, We, we miss the complexities of how this happens. You know, if you if you read through uh, Jeffrey's manuscript, which is called like the Billionaires Playboy Club,
1: where where did you where did you find
2: that? It was entered into a defamation suit between Jeffrey and Maxwell. Jeffrey was was uh, you know suing Maxwell for defamation, uh, and that manuscript at one point was entered in there. Alan Dershowitz and others had for many years been trying to get that uh, released. You know, it was it was under court order seal. Um, uh, eventually, that and a, a whole bunch of other documents were released. Um, you know, Alan Dershowitz took credit for that, as did Mike Cernovich. Julie K. Brown took credit for the, You know, everybody took credit for releasing all this stuff. I think it was really the cumulative um, the fa- and the fact that Jafri at that point was she she stopped she for a while was trying to block her manuscript from coming out, partly because it doesn't really paint her all that well. Yeah. Um. You know, if if we're being totally honest.
1: So so let's talk about that a little bit. I'm very you know, when I look at it, it seems pretty straightforward, like rich asshole exploiting young women like what? What's kind of the subtleties or the gray areas in the larger case that maybe is getting missed by, by the mainstream reporting?
2: I think a big one is the, the, way, the way that some of the victims have crafted a narrative of how the abuse happened, um, of, of what they knew and when they knew it. And that doesn't totally comport to my opinion with what you know what we're actually seeing. I mean, uh, I'll just use this as an example. If Joseph Flatley went to you know Epstein's house to uh, help him set up a studio for a podcast, right? You know, and, and, and or, or you know Pierce, you know whoever, right? There's no way you would go there and not know that something bad was happening. Now, even if he had, you know, there were no kids around, I mean, the his whole house was plastered with photos of, of naked children. So, I mean, there's that. But, you know, beyond that, anybody that was actually, like, working for Epstein or with Epstein or spent any, I think, extended amount of time in that orbit would have known that there was something going on. Now, there are some victims um, that, you know, we're, I mean, I don't, this is messed up. Um, and I'm not attacking her, but because Maria Farmer is a, is, a, and her sister Annie Farmer were both uh, victims of Epstein's. They were, I mean, Annie Farmer uh, and, and Maria Farmer told their story years ago to uh, Vicki Ward, who, according to Vicki Ward, she was a victim of Epstein's manipulation at Vanity Fair. You know, it, that turns out to be, I think, a little bogus because, you know, Vicki Ward never disclosed that she was hanging out with Gillian Maxwell um, at Vanity Fair parties well after, um, you know, even her articles came out. But, she, you know, they reported to her and it didn't go anywhere. Maria Farmer, when she was abused, um, uh, and this took place in Ohio. Uh, you know, she went to the uh, police and filed reports, and I think even filed a report with the FBI that went nowhere. And I'm not, and, and she, Maria Farmer, is also struggling right now with uh, cancer. So I, you know, um, and I, you know, I don't even want to, you know, imagine what she's going through. But the way she tells her story, she started working in Epstein's house um, as like a sort of like a front door receptionist. Now she claims that she did see lots of, you know, kids going in and out, but when she asked it was, Oh well, no, they're here. Cause Eps-, you know, Jeffrey has connections with the modeling world and we've all kind of accepted Oh, okay, that's it. Now, you know, farmer and others will say that, Oh, well, of course so-and-so knew what was going on. They were in the house. How could they not know? How could she not know? You know and and I think that she Maria Farmer also um, you know basically introduced Epstein to her younger sister, Annie. Annie was um you know, uh, was abused. I mean, I mean, and and you know, what happened to both of them, I think, really destroyed a large chunk of their life. i'm I'm totally speculating. And I'm, um, you know, and I'm probably being unfair. I get the sense that, and I'm just using Maria Farmer as an example, but I think that this applies to Jafri as well. I think that their involvement, whether it was naive, whether it was sort of they didn't want to know, was, is, is deeper. That they maybe did know that there was something going on, but it got out of hand really quickly. And, you know, Maria Farmer introduced her sister to Epstein, who was then abused. I mean, can you imagine if you if you did that to your sibling, whether you meant it to happen, whether, you know, whether you were sort of you you had bad feelings, but you weren't sure or or you were totally oblivious, um, you know, I, so I don't I just don't fully believe that she was working in that house and had no concept of the amount of abuse that was going in and out of those doors. And this is a, a, just kind of an aside, but you know, Annie Farmer also a lot of her artwork, she was a painter. A lot of her paintings are really sexually explicit. Um, you know, including like nude draw. you know, paintings of her sister and others who were underage. And uh, it's just interesting that, you know, like when it came to, um, you know, remember like pizza gate and spirit cooking and, all the creepy artwork and, and what, you know, Maria Bramovich, Oh, you know, look like they're hanging that, or what was it? Podesta with the, the creepy paintings. He's a pedophile yet when Maria Farmer does it, no, no, that's fine. There's nothing untoward there. You know, let's ju- just brush it aside. So, you know, if you read through Jeffrey's manuscript, I mean, she talks endlessly about bringing girls to be victimized by Epstein, you know, again and again. And, she has only recently been much more upfront about that. You know, a couple of years ago, that was not really what she was talking about. Now It might've, you know, it was in various depositions. It was in this uh, manuscript. Other people knew about it, but it was not something that she was readily putting out there. And I understand that God only knows, you know, what, the power that one person can have over another where they can abuse you and to make you be an active participant in abuse. I mean, that's so traumatic and that's got to do a real number on you psychologically. But I think that, you know, <clears throat> I think that there are a lot of victims that were much more active participants in this than they want the public to believe. And they know that it also complicates everything. You know, what if Jufri was bringing, you know, what happens if, if one of G, a, a girl that you free recruited comes forward, starts, you know, going after her. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, and the other thing, and, and again, I, I'm, I'm really cutting hairs, but I think that it's important because this case uh, also really illustrates the complexities of the legal system and and the that, you know, the law is not law and order. That's not actually how cases get solved. Jafri for many years was saying that she was a 15 year old working at Mar-a-Lago when Maxwell approached her to you know give a massage to Epstein. Now I don't believe if you if you look through the deposition that was um, you know released, which is it, it, which is sort of a misnomer. This deposition was out there. It's just more pages have been released. Still, there's tons of redactions and some really weird ones that we can get into. In, in that deposition, Maxwell um, sort of dances around the idea that she recruited Jeffrey or Roberts as she referred to her, and she sort of puts it out there that, you know, well, you know, Roberts held herself out as a masseuse and uh, kind of makes it sound like she invited herself over there. I don't really believe that, but it is, you know, it is a fact that Roberts was not 15, she was 17. Now, that's still underage. Um and that's still I mean it doesn't matter. She could have been 34 and you know the abuse that was going I mean Epstein was abusing adult women as well. So, you know, I mean let's not let's not forget that.
1: But um, Yeah, you know, I let me let me uh, break in for a second here. because um, you know, I'm hearing a lot of conjecture and it's like which, you know, obviously we all do, but I think that's really kind of the difference between like the conspiracy researcher and the journalist, you know, like um, you're, you know, you have the sense from being really inside of, being inside of this case for so long that, um, you know, how could Maria Farmer not know this was happening? But it's like, you know, a journalist isn't going to speak to that, unless no, no, they have n- nor proof they. you know nor should they you know and it's like so i'm just you know wondering about the roles of the conspiracy researcher versus the um the journalist uh you know and it's like how do you keep from going too far into you know your imagination on this stuff how do you keep it grounded
2: uh well i mean i i think i keep it kind of grounded by just i've kind of remove myself from a lot of this because i i mean as you can tell the way i'm talking i mean it's really easy to get into like you know oh Maria farmer was was part of this conspiracy and whatnot and i'm not um and i i'm i'm glad that you did interrupt to just uh, this is conjecture i'm this is purely my own opinion um you know i'm forming it based on on various stuff that i've read and and just sort of um i mean part of it too is just what other people are saying and then how that changes when the spotlight is on them. And I just think that's interesting. You know, everybody that worked at Epstein's house knew what was going on except for Maria Farmer.
1: I know from living life and have being around screwed up people sometimes. Nothing to the level of a an Epstein or... But, you know, it's like people block out... Like, first of all, I think maybe not now after, you know, years of concerted media coverage, but, you know, even 20 years, I think the kind of like Jeffrey Epstein evil figure is so far out of most people's realm of experience that they're willing to forgive a lot or not notice a lot just because it's like, my mind wouldn't go there. My first thing, you know, if women are coming in and out and somebody was like, you know, oh, he's a he's a casting agent for a modeling agency. My mind wouldn't go, oh, he must really be a an elite sex trafficking operation, you know? Well, but that
2: and I think that's sort of my point is that I I think it's a lot that the case gets more complicated when like, I think that's probably how a lot, you know, you there are people that were working even more directly for Epstein that genuinely maybe didn't really know. And I think that's sort of hard for us to accept um and and that is on some level that has to be how he was able to uh carry out the abuse on this level is that people are sort of like they don't really know or they don't want to know, or you know it's like you said, Joseph, it's like it's so horrible that your your mind's not gonna want to go there, so subconsciously you kind of come up with like a different scenario um and no and i I, I mean I do want to say like i i I'm not I want to be clear. I'm not attacking Maria Farmer. I don't think that she's an evil person. I do think it's possible that her and others, it's more complicated. It's not, there's like black and white victims are not angels. Um, Like I said, I mean, there's a reason Jeffrey didn't want her manuscript coming out. It doesn't really portray her. It portrays her as a, as a much more, um, active participant in a lot of this now obviously she was under an an insane amount of undue influence i think and you know and that you can't expect people that are under that level of control to i mean they they can't be fully responsible for what they do but i do think that we shouldn't you know we shouldn't we should it, it it just ha- we have to expand it a little bit. I think we're actually doing a disservice. I think, and and because I too, I think that at the end of the day, we miss how benign Epstein was as an evil force. You know, this was very just sort of like par for the course. You know, this wasn't this grand. I mean, let's also just be fair. Um, you know, Maria Farmer is into some really whacked out. Stuff. I mean, she's a big David Icke um, proponent. She's into some really crazy stuff. She's been on True News, which is a a right wing racist uh, Christian news outlet that basically thinks, you know, everything about Epstein is related to the Jews. So, you know, um, I
1: think that's just... I don't really know what to make of that. And and it just seems like the, you know, like the mainstream narrative partially out of necessity has kind of shaved off the, like the corners of this story, you know, giving us like a very basic, like for instance, the, uh, uh, James Patterson, like, you know, the, the TV version of filthy rich that was on Netflix. Um, they show, uh, you know, Maria Farmer's paintings of like, you know, like the cabal around Jeffrey Epstein as lizard people and stuff. But, and which, you know, as a, as a guy who, as a conspiracy watcher, you know, it def, I definitely thought, oh, David Icke, but they never mentioned that. It could also be, you know, art artists, you know, taking liberty to make a point. So it's like, like in Filthy Rich, as an editor, I could see not wanting not having the time or the space to go into her crazy conspiracy beliefs.
2: I don't think, I think that the because mainstream journalists don't want to accept that. No, no one is really attacking Maria Farmer for going on some of the most insane podcasts out there, which I think all she's doing, whether, you know, I, and I think this is a person that maybe is like, you know, first discovering a lot of this conspiracy media and, you know, I know for myself, like when I first got into it, I, I listened to Alex Jones. I watched David Icke videos. You know, it's like you're sort of like absorbing all this stuff. You know, my problem is, is like I think that all it really does is that later on, um, it just makes it so much easier to attack her.
1: Yeah, discredit her, right?
2: Oh, it's like, oh, so you, you know, you you went on a show which is all about the the, you know, the Zionists. Everyone's a secret evil Jew. They're performing blood sacrifices. Um, you know, we have to stop, uh, you know, the Zionists from infiltrating us. Now, Farmer didn't necessarily talk about that on in her interview. I mean, they, they, they believe in, you know, that like, I mean, Donald Trump is some sort of Christian savior that's going to smite, you know, the heathens. Now, uh, you know, this doesn't really help her later you know, in any sort of like a legal thing. But I think that mainstream journalists don't really want to get into that.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this True News site and it is crazy. Like, it is. And, and you know, and this, you know, appearance she did uh, in May, May of this year, I'll just read the description. Today on True News, we share an exclusive interview with Epstein survivor, Mariah Farmer, Maria Farmer, who was the victim of Jeffrey and his accomplished accomplice Ghislaine Ghislaine Maxwell blah 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 and then Les Wexner who Maria refers to as the head of the snake of a dark operation which worked for and reported directly to the political state of Israel so it's like just by briefly looking at this thing this seems like a gross gross conservative website that uses uh you know that like it's basically fake news that you, you equates Israel with the Jews. <laughs> and it's like, it's yeah, attacks, yeah, of course, of course. you know, it, on, is on Israel or attacks, you know, are, right. And it's their heart anti-Semitic, but it also, you know, I mean, Whitney Webb's been writing about the supposed connections, which I don't see between, you know, Les Wexner. Yeah, and
2: I, and I had her on and promoted her uh, much to my chagrin now. Yeah. Um, Cause well, I think she's, I think she's totally, she's the example of like, you know, I was, I was talking about conjecture there. Everything she writes is conjecture to me. And, and, and she conflates, everything is a, is a, is a connection. Everything is connected. I mean, you know, things that are seemingly like, oh, well, because, you know, one time so-and-so was at a party where this person was a speaker, they're connected, you know, I mean. Uh, much of what she what she talks about is conjecture
1: yeah uh, and that gets reported as like hard fact anytime somebody uses the word connection i just like i mean there's a reason if you go to a journalist journalism textbook you know you're not going to find the word connection <laughs> you know it's like like that's a way of saying two people were in either in the same space or knew the same person so they must be both working for the illuminati exactly And yeah, her stuff is really hard to read because it's like... It's interesting
2: from a a historian, you're like, oh, wow, like she knows like her, I mean, she knows her conspiracy history.
1: You can't like source the executive intelligence review, you know, Lyndon LaRouche without like backing it up with somebody else or noting that it's crazy larouchism this kind of leads me into like i'm thinking a lot about like how the conspiracy scene has changed and it's interesting that it's kind of happened like you know kind of at the same time that epstein became well known and
2: oh definitely i think that that's that is uh i think for a lot of people that was like how they got into it Mm -hmm. um i mean you can chart uh epstein and um you know, the rise of, of looking into Epstein and, and as it became more mainstream, right, when it wasn't just like me babbling, you know, about my theories, right. When it became more, uh, mainstream, let's go back 2016. Uh, uh, Gloria Allred, right. She had, uh, victims that were going to come forward. They were going to give a press conference that, that they had been abused by, uh, Epstein and Trump, that one, of the, You know, that Trump had raped one of them. And Gloria Allred is, obviously, I know people have really strong opinions about Gloria Allred, but she is, I mean, she's enough of a lawyer that she's not going to just take in anybody. You know, she's got enough money to have great PIs, to vet people that come, you know, that are asking, you know, for representation. She's not just going to pick up, you know, me because i say something right she's gonna look into it
1: right right and that's like one thing i think people don't realize it's like when you're involved in these kinds of cases with these high-powered attorneys it's like you're not just hiring a lawyer to like listen to your story and file some court documents there's a major investigative operation before you know before you even start exactly yeah oh i mean even 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 with like you know i was mentioning like
2: uh uh, Jose Lambia was a gossip columnist. I mean, nobody ever sued him. <laughs> nothing he nothing he said was, was factually incorrect. I mean, you can even, I know it's not maybe the best. I mean, now the National Enquirer has really just sort of fallen off. But, you know, a lot of the crazy shit that the Enquirer puts out there, they're still vetting it. There's like enough truth that they're not going to get sued for libel. Just quickly, because mm-hmm. you were mentioning about the trajectory of the conspiracy theory stuff, and I just want to, before I forget this thread, I was mentioning the Gloria Allred um, who was had these you know this victim that was going to come forward give a press conference about Trump and Epstein this was weeks I think before uh, the election was 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 going to happen and then it's like you know almost simultaneously there was some sort of a denial of service attack. They were gonna do like a you know a virtual uh, conference. It stopped the victim claims to have been threatened. And then lo and behold, boom, Podesta emails and Pizzagate. And then that becomes the narrative. They're the pedophiles. They're the evil ones, the demon crats, you know, that are doing black mat, you know, and and then that became the narrative. And you had people like Mike Cernovich, who made a name for himself out of being involved in, you know, uh, pushing Pizzagate, then claiming I never did, and then inserting himself into an uh, Epstein-related lawsuit that ultimately benefited one of the, um, you know, perpetrators, Alan Dershowitz, who then, you know, and then again, when when Trump um, was elected and remember he was like holding court down in Mar-a-Lago. well who's one of the first people that comes to visit him? Alan Dershowitz. Now, I don't think they were talking about, you know, MAGA hats and, you know, and the weather or whatnot. I mean, they were talking about what, you know, Cernovich and him were getting up to, I think. I mean, you know that that case was so there was it had enough legs. It had enough legs that they, you know, they, to my you know, to my belief, invented Pizzagate as a distraction with just enough amount of like, you know, yeah, Podesta seems like a creep, um, you know, but there was nothing really solid, and the fact that you had you had a person that was going to come forward basically accusing Donald Trump of all this, you know, horrible stuff that the pizza gators were obsessed with. And then instead it got reversed and, you know, it was the Democrats that were involved somehow. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, the Q stuff becomes a thing, you know, and Q and is telling us that Trump is going to lock up the, the pedos and he's going to, you know, save us and whatnot. And, and, you know, that become and now that, those theories are like ingrained in pretty mainstream politics right now.
1: I'm wondering what you think about the whole like parapolitical angle, like the uh, Les Wexner mega group, elite, pedophilia, entrapment, CIA, that whole cluster of conspiracy theories. I don't think it's easily described. So I won't, you know, so I'm just throwing out all these buzzwords. But you know, it's like, I'm wondering, is that one of the things, one of the other complexities that has been kind of like lost in the mainstream narrative on Epstein? Do you give any credence to this whole idea that Epstein was running like a, a blackmail operation on behalf of, you know, some shadowy government actors?
2: Yeah, there has to be something, right? Like, I mean, I, I think that um, somebody somebody like epstein that's operating at a fairly you know high level he's he's hobnobbing in a rarefied air uh, at you know various uh points in his life so somebody like that, that that's friends with all these politicians and businessmen and uh philanthropists and royalty obviously if you were a intelligence organization like the cia um or Mossad, if you know, if that's, if that tickles your fancy, uh, you're, you're probably going to be like, huh, I wonder, you know, could this guy, could we turn this guy or use this guy, um, uh, you know, to get information. I think that that's, uh, entirely possible. Uh, you can, you can go down the, you know, Maxwell, uh, rabbit hole with her, with her father, Robert, his connections to the promise software. Um, and uh, the Israeli government, and there's there's obvious there's something there. I mean, I think that that's actually much more concrete, um you know, Maxwell, I mean, Robert Maxwell when he died, he was like given a state funeral in Israel. I mean, they only do that for prime ministers. So, you know this is a corrupt media baron who uh, might have even been murdered by Israeli intelligence um and then is given a state funeral. So I think that there' there's something there, but, I, you know, I, I have for a while tried to push people away from the grand conspiracies and more down to the, the, what, I mean, I know I was talking a lot about conjecture before, but I you know, what can we prove? Well, we can prove quite a bit about Epstein and Maxwell, Sarah Kellen, Leslie Groff uh, Marchenkova and, and and others. There's actually a fair amount you can prove, and there's a lot that's already out there, legal documents, uh, court papers, uh, criminal complaints, uh, probable cause affidavits. There's there's quite a bit there that you can prove, and that's what I was talking about the the sort of benign uh, nature of Epstein. <clears throat> a lot of this was very kind of run of the mill, you know. It's like the 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 Child abuser down the street, you know, giving, uh, offering victims various, oh, I'll pay for your college, you know, here's money, you want a car, you know, that, that's just like the, here, you want some candy, you know, the the creep in the van. So, and that, and then just a the sort of basic, like, oh, you don't want me to abuse you anymore, that's fine, but just, I need you to get me other people, you know, which is also a tactic. I think a lot of these uh, victims are, you know, they get in this situation, down there where they're they're giving this old guy a massage and you know maybe they thought this was gonna be okay and then i don't even know how you can imagine you're in this you know upstairs this creepy weird uh bathroom of his upstairs with couches everywhere a massage table and then he's touching you he's asking you to take your clothes off you do whatever right you know i think a lot of time they're just doing it because they think it's just you know it's easier right like it it than fighting it who knows what's going to happen right and I think then, you know, he convinces them sort of in a way of like, oh, well, if you don't want to do this anymore, just bring me somebody else. And that's, I think, his way of saying uh, – of, of, of dropping in this idea that uh, if you don't bring me somebody, I'm going to do it again. You know, and, and that's, that's a uh, tremendous – you know, that's like people that are being tortured will say anything. People that are being interrogated by the police um, you know, mm-hmm. will say anything to make it stop.
1: And and you know, you can't discount the fact that he, as powerful and as wealthy as he was, he was able to portray himself, especially to these poor victimized girls, as even much more powerful.
2: Oh, of course, he he would he would name drop all these people. He would show them. You know, it's like you see him in a picture with you know Bill Clinton, or I mean, imagine the the pictures of him and Donald Trump at his house. And he's abusing people at Mar-a-Lago. It's like, well, that's your boss. What do you, you know, you think anybody's gonna protect you then? No. So, um, yeah, I mean, extremely powerful. Um, to the conspiracy angle, all these, you know, I think, you know, there is a belief out there that when Max, when Robert Maxwell died, Ghislaine sort of inherited a lot of his. You know, network of intelligence and blackmail and money and that Epstein was already kind of getting into his own sort of a thing, mainly on a financial side. He helped a lot of uh, rich people. Uh, most famously, this woman, Anna Obregon, a Spanish heiress. Uh, he helped her get all this money back that had been uh, her father had been swindled out of millions and millions of dollars. Epstein was maybe sort of like a money manager for the rich that were trying to hide stuff or do shady things. So he had his own sort of network. At some point him and Maxwell meet up, they maybe date um, uh, and then they kind of break up, but they're, they remain close and the idea that, the, that then they created their own network and, Oh, uh, you know, Whitney Webb would have us believe that this is, you know, the Israelis and the Zionists and, um you know others would say the CIA MI6 had to have known i mean if they're spying on prince andrew uh, but i i you know and i think that i've i've looked into a lot of that it's really difficult to prove you know you're not going to in this in this deposition that was just released the um uh this is uh jeffrey's lawyers ask maxwell point blank um if uh, epstein worked for the CIA or the FBI she says she doesn't know. They ask, did he maybe do a you know work or like a favor for them? She doesn't know. They also ask her, did he work or have some relationship with the Israeli government? I don't know. Uh, so obviously, you know, that's those are those are pretty <laughs> high-priced lawyers asking those questions. Again, I don't think they're asking those questions totally just for the hell of it. So there is something there, but I would. You know, I would caution against going down that because look what's happened. I mean, Epstein gets busted, right? He gets arrested uh, in July of last year. Now, I think that he was arrested. I, I think that he there was some sort of an agreement whereby he was guaranteed you're untouchable, and that's why he was flying in and out, right? I mean, he flew back from France into Teeterboro. And was arrested on the tarmac. Why would he return if he thought there was some possibility? I think because you know it had been uh, conveyed to him that he was protected, he was safe. So there's there's something there, right? There's some kind of you can think intelligence or whatnot, right? But he gets arrested, and then and it seems like nobody's coming to bail him out, right? And the conditions are kind of are, are I mean horrific in uh, where he was in I think uh, MCC. Uh, And then he, he, you know, dies under mysterious circumstances. And then what happens? Silence. Now, this is conjecture, and this is something that Ed Opperman talks a lot about. People like that, right? They have to have some kind of like a kill switch. If you have that much blackmail and dirt, you've got to tuck that away somewhere and then be like, okay, you know, you tell your lawyer or whomever, if I go down, if I die, release it, you know, just to, just to screw everybody else, right? The same it could be, but nothing happened. Maxwell, same thing. Where's her kill switch? Where's her, well, you know, she, she seems to have no juice to use to get out of prison, to, you know, have these, I mean, it, it's possible that by releasing a lot of these documents, this deposition and others, this could affect her on the ongoing criminal case. And she could say, I'm going to call for a mistrial because I can't, there's no jury in the world that's going to be, you know, on a case and not have a negative opinion of her because they're releasing all these various documents. Um, So maybe
1: that's the way out. There has to be a place where, you know, a person like Maxwell or Epstein are so hot that they can't, Possibly let them go through. And that's probably where the, the suicide comes in.
2: Well just quickly, just just uh, I I think that the intelligence stuff is I think it's overblown. You can look at this. Nobody's busting her out. Nobody. I mean, they haven't killed her. Um, and I mean, if you uh, back when she was arrested up in um, uh, New Hampshire, she was keeping her phone wrapped in tinfoil because she was told that'll stop, you know, your phone from being hacked. You can buy a Faraday bag right now on the internet for like 70 bucks that you can keep your phone in and it will totally protect it from being hacked. Now. So the Mossad agent, right. Or asset. She doesn't know that nobody like nobody, you know, um at, at massad can um hey can you just send her a couple faraday bags or at least you know she'll buy them and just give us the receipt
1: one of the mysteries that you know is persisting is like the real true nature of like what wealth did epstein actually have and what was the true nature of it where did it come from and like you know there's been a lot of conjecture a lot of what ifs you know, what if he was, you know, this important asset for intelligence? What if his his money came from this, that, or the other? And while all that is fascinating and, you know, if evidence comes up, I'm open to it. The fact of the matter is I don't think at the end of the day that there's anything that Epstein or Maxwell did that can't be explained by by saying that, well, there are some really lucky, really fortunate con artists <laughs> that were really yeah. good at being con artists
2: more and more as we learn stuff i i just think like this is the criminal mastermind that 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 i even helped promote the idea of it it just doesn't really comport and yeah i think that this i think once again this is the the really dark sad reality of this uh is that people like this exist and operate all the time everywhere they're operating, you know, in your apartment building, in your school, certainly in your church. Uh, you know, there there I mean there are people like this everywhere. Epstein just happened to have enough money that he was able to
1: operate at a higher level. It sounds like, you know, you went into the Epstein story up for anything and you found like a lot of kind of really interesting conspiracy tributaries but as you kind of lived with the story for years and looked into it it kind of became a little more simplified for you in the sense that it's really about this man and these victims and not like these like shadowy you know intelligence actors or you know i think it kind of distracts you know it's
2: like when especially too when you have victims talking about these grand conspiracies it distracts from the very simple nature of like I was, you know, 16, 17 years old when I was abused by Epstein and then, you know, coerced into recruiting other people and lying and and hurting, you know, uh, my friends and family. That's and and a lot of those people that were uh, part of that are still walking free. Sarah Kellen's not in prison. Leslie Groff's not in prison. As far as I know, they're not even they're, they're barely even mentioned in like the SDNY investigations into these people. And also just a, another quick thing on the grand conspiracy, um, you know, blackmail thing, SDNY appears to be in possession of all sorts of, um, recordings from inside Epstein's house on the Upper East Side. And if you look at the, um, I think it was the, uh, during the, ba- it was a bail memo as to why he shouldn't be released they essentially you know they were redacting things but they referred to cd roms of blank with young blank so i mean those things exist and yet we don't know i mean epstein's dead what's in that you know where where i mean so th- again there's a there's a a shred of something there but but obviously whatever it is i mean somebody more powerful than epstein is making sure it doesn't come out
1: And that's my conversation with Pierce Redmond of Porkins Policy Radio. He's got a Patreon with a podcast, and he's on the Ocelli Effect every other Tuesday, so check out my show notes for more Pierce Redmond. Another thing, I have no idea what happened with that recording. Sounds like it was recorded on just the mic in my laptop, which I think at one point I was looking at my settings and realized that instead of my external mic, it was my internal mic that was recording, and might have been around the same time that I did that interview either way that's that's far below my uh, usual production values and I, I got plenty of uh, episodes of failed state update in uh, in the can or at least recorded I need to edit them and put them out so return to this space often and you'll hear some more uh, some more fantastic episodes over the coming months. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check me out on Twitter, at Lenny Flatley, on the web, lennyflatley.net, or uh, sign up for my mailing list on Substack, uh, .substack lennyflatley.substack.com.